Hello, Church on the Rock. Good morning to you. Thank you again for showing up on screen. And uh, we're going to get one more Sunday off the whole uh, on-screen thing to, towards the whole thing of coming back together again. So thank you for doing that. That's my hope. That's my dream. And uh, thank you also for going and taking the time to go share and then uh, just share and then share now. It is, uh, it's uh, so easy to do. Last week, we had 25 people share their videos. So come and join the crew and just share this to some of your friends. Um, man, I also, last week, last week, I have an apology to send out. Yes, I want to apologize. I said, I said, uh, I was giving an illustration about, uh, I don't really know any Brendas, and that was because those are Brendas that I had bitterness against, but I realized it came out that I don't know those people, but so my apologies to Brenda Rohr, Brenda Bitcher, Brenda Carboni, all the other Brendas I do know. Just good to know that I am not bitter against you about anything. <laughs> so you did not come to mind whatsoever. Okay, we are in the middle of our series here about Jesus saying, I am. Hello, I am. I'm going to pray and ask that God would come and show up because he certainly needs to to be able to teach us so we can come away. Heavenly Father, I love you. I love you with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul. Come and be in this message. We invite you to come and correct and align. We invite you to encourage we invite you to push us on through your word, through the richness of your word. I pray that you would come in every single living room, bedroom, at when, when it's played now, when it's played later. I pray that you would be here with us, God. In Jesus' holy, holy name, amen, amen. So uh, often, uh, you might, uh, might have to go into a situation where you don't know people. You have to say, hi, I'm, and you know, you, you say, hello, I am, whatever you are. We just kind of imagine, what would it be like if Jesus showed up at a party? And he says, hello, I am, and then what would you say about Jesus? Like so much background, so much richness in his life. And we've been just saying, you know what, he would say, hey, hello, I am the good shepherd, and we've taken a week to unpack that. Hello, I am the true vine. Hello, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today we're going to be talking about, hello, I am the light of the world. The beautiful thing is each one of these statements actually brings out the I am. He's self-defining himself as God. He does that again and again and again. And as we start to unpack this one, this one is particularly rich. If you like some Old Testament background about some New Testament things, hold on, stay, stay with us, because we're going to discover how rich this passage is. And uh, every so often I step back and read the Bible, and I see these connections across books, across ages, across hundreds of years. And I, I say, man, this is like Shakespearean masterpiece. It would be like a genius of all geniuses to be able to write the Bible. But the beautiful thing, you take one step back, and you realize, hold on, <laughs> there, are, there are like 60 plus books, there's 40 authors, there's... There's just a lot going on here, and it's, it's beyond a genius of a person. It takes God to have actually written this book, and I hope you appreciate that. So we're going to dig into the circumstances where Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. This, we know in this situation, often we don't know exactly when 
or how he said the things he did. But in this very situation, we do know two things. We know exactly where he was. We do know exactly when he said these things. It was during a, a Jewish festival called the F- a Festival of Booths or Sukkoth. Or it's, it's three, kind, uh, three of the expected festivals to travel to Jerusalem. So it's expected that, that the nation would come. So you just imagine hundreds and thousands of people filling Jerusalem during this time. And, and, and it's the Feast of Booths. It's really cool because it, it's something that would really stick out on the countryside. And these people are building booths or basically tents. Uh, and and it, they would be all across, speckled across the countryside. If you lived in a house, you would put like a, a tent or a booth up on your roof. And so this is like, if you've ever uh, thought about like a, a huge music festival and everybody's out in the field and, you know, there's tents all over the place and fires and people going back and forth. I, you know, I've been to some Christian music festivals. have been amazing and just so much fun and, until it rains in the middle of it. But anyway, it, it, this is sort of what this is like, this excitement of the nation coming together. And basically everybody is tenting it. Uh, so it's like our Thanksgiving. It would happen around and during se- September. And instead of one day of Thanksgiving, it's five days. And they would bring the fruits of the field. They would bring uh, all their agricultural goods there to offer them at the temple. We know that's when it happened. We know exactly where it happened. And it happened in the court of the women. Court of the women. You say, what is the court of the women? The temple is divided into different courts. It starts off with the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could come so close and, 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 and uh, be a part of the worship. But then if you're Jewish, of the Jewish nation, you were allowed to go in. And the court of the women was that first court. It's where the treasury was kept. It was 13 huge sort of offering buckets were there, uh, big chests and, and these, these metal tubes they call trumpets that people could, could throw in, in their money. And, and each one of the chests was, were meant for different things. One of the chests were, were meant to, you could give an offering for wood, to buy wood. Another one, if you're very poor and if you want to offer a dove, you, that was your chest to do that. And then, anyway, 13 chests, all the money going in. This is the women's court. And if you're a woman, you could go further to offer your sacrifice. But in one step closer, it's the men's court. So you can sort of get the idea about how you are, how close. So he's te- t- talking to the nation of Israel. Basically, he's in that, that court where, where the, is, the Israelites would be. And uh, so we know when, we know where. And uh, at, the, at the last part of the whole uh, festival, at the whole ceremony... There was a huge lighting of candles uh, ceremony. Now, you've got you to picture this. This is pre-electricity. There, is no, there are no lights. You know how you're driving through the country and you see this sort of haze, that, that white haze of a, a city somewhere? Well, there was nothing like this. The best you got were the little tiny oil lamps. And basically when the sun went down, that was pretty much for the day. Uh, they didn't like stretch their evenings on because they didn't have good light. So a city would be cast pretty much in darkness. Except the last day of the Festival of Booths. One time in the year, this thing just goes nuts. It's crazy. I've, I've read different sources. At one time, they had 
four huge candelabras that they raised up in the sky. Another part they had uh, in history, they had 12 huge boils, bowls of oil that they lift up on pillars. And this, this, all this, they liked them. And just imagine, boom, this huge spotlight. It's, it's as if light was coming down on the temple. It's as if light was all over. And it says that one of the historical quotes was that it lit up every single courtyard through the whole city. So this was not like a little bit of light. This was so much light, every courtyard in the whole city would be lit. And during that, they would pick a wise and holy man. And what would the wise and holy man do? <laughs> Get this. He would dance. He would dance before the Lord. And people, it would just spur on other people dancing and singing. I couldn't do it. Anyway, so you could just imagine people dancing in the light and the celebration. L'chaim. It's good. It is good. Life is good. So in the midst of this happening, and the, and the nation of Israel celebrating and dancing and light pouring out, light pouring out, this, this is, you say, well, why are they doing this? This is, yes, to celebrate Thanksgiving for bringing all the, the food in, but it's very much a remembrance of Exodus. The reason why they're intense was because they, they it was sort of like a, a prompt to remind them that they had camped out in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they, they realized there were people that were wandering, that they're wandering. And they finally found the place where they, they stayed. Why light then? Why did they light this light? Because in the desert, there was absolutely no light. And so what would happen is God would lead with a pillar of fire at night. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes... We go, ah, oh, man, that would be kind of rough to, you know, wander out in the desert. But you saw the presence of God. That was cool. You were fed by the hand of God with manna from heaven. So there were some things going on there that were miraculous every single day. Every single day. And so the reason why they set up the lights, they wanted to, to reminisce, get people to think, oh, yeah, I can, I'm, like we're going to pretend we're in the, in the book of Exodus. We're camping out. And there's the pillar of fire hanging over the temple. Why over the temple? Because, because not only did the pillar of fire lead, the pillar of fire was the presence of God, and it stayed over the tabernacle. They set up the tabernacle. The, the pillar of fire would lead by night, cloud by day. And then, then they stop. Okay, time to put up the tent. They put up the tent. And then the presence of God would hang over the tabernacle. And so in a way, they're, they're almost recreating that. The presence of God hanging over the temple. And there's so much excitement to be in the presence of God. Love and life. Life in the presence of God. See, God is, is thought of as light many, many times. Not only was he a source of light, first day of creation. Psalm 104, he says, it says he's dressed in a robe of light. I love that. In, in the New Jerusalem, all of New Jerusalem is going to be lit by God. And, and there won't be any need for, for lights because of, of who he is. The pillar of fire was for leading the God's presence. And his protection, too. It was, uh, there's one point where the children of Israel come up to the Red Sea and they stop. Er, we can't go anywhere. And there's Pharaoh's army. He's coming. 
guess what, guess what protected them? It was the pillar of fire that was between the army and the Israelites. And God, in his fiery passion, was keeping the Israelites safe for leading for protection for his presence. There's one more layer of light in the Old Testament. It's about the Messiah. The, the, people in the Old Testament longed for a Messiah, the, the, sort of the, the ancestor of King David that was going to come and set up a new kingdom. And so, so they talked to him, about him. They referred to him as the suffering servant. They I didn't understand why the Messiah would be a suffering servant. We do now because Jesus is the Messiah. We knew that he had to suffer for our sins. But it's, it's fascinating to know that, that God himself, the Father, in this one passage, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 49.6. Isaiah 49.6. And God is speaking to the Messiah. We know now he's speaking to his son. So you just sort of unpack. This is so cool. Here it goes. And God is saying, is it, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. In other words, he's saying to his suffering servant, okay, you're going to get Israel and Jacob to come back to me. You will, you will. That's, that's, a, small, that's a small task. He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. Hmm. So God the Father says this to the Son, you're going to bring back my people, but guess what? That's too small a thing. You're going after the world, baby. We're going to take this puppy back. I'm going to win the whole world. <laughs> okay. Okay, so come on back. Come on back. This is the background. Imagine, the city is packed because it's one of the places where all Israel is supposed to be. All of Israel is supposed to be remembering the Exodus, where they are taken out of slavery and given freedom. And they were remembering the presence of God, the light that led, the light that protected, the light of his presence. In that blazing light, which all is lit in the women's court, by the way. So in the midst of all these things stands Jesus. Now let's read the passage. <laughs> John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see people dancing and now, okay, now, don't you get it? Don't you get it? This is more than just a nice little platitude, I'm the light of the world, you know. That, he, he, it's more than that. It is so much more than that. It is, it's, it's this, he's saying, I am the Messiah. I'm winning you back, uh, you know, uh, Israel. But I'm the light of the world. You know, is it too small a thing? It's too small a thing just to win the nation back. I'm going after the world. He is the light of the world world. I am the one that will lead you. I'm the one that will protect you. I, you walk in my presence. I uh, guess what? If that pillar of fire is light that we're celebrating, it's about me. <laughs> you see, you see how the things that Jesus talked about are outrageous. They're just completely outrageous. Right after that, the, the Pharisees challenge him. Basically, they ask, who gives you the right to say that? And they sort of argue back and forth about how many witnesses. If somebody really says this about you, you need at least one more person to, to stand in as your witness. 
And Jesus says, my father and I, my father and I are, are good enough. <laughs> In fact, you know when Jesus gets baptized and the, the clouds sort of break open and God the Father says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. That was the testimony of God. So he says, you got my testimony, you got the father's testimony. I am who I am. And so you find out in John 8, 19 to 20, after this argument that goes back and forth. You can read it yourself at home after, after the message. He says, you do not know me or my father, which was kind of a slap in the face. Because he's saying, guess what? You don't really know God. You don't really know me because you don't know who I am. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Again, this little like hint to the Trinity. <laughs> He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. That's the women's court. That's where the lights were blazing. It says, yet no one seized him because his hour had not come. He was saying, in fact, you know this whole festival is about God and the light? Guess what? That's only a type of me. Guess what? <laughs> What's so outrageous? He says, you know this whole thing? That the whole thing of Exodus... That was all played out, so when I am here at this moment telling you this, you should all go, yes, you are God Almighty. <laughs> the Exodus there celebrating was just a shadow of the reality of God's light. He says, I'm the light that cuts through the darkness, not just for one light night, but for a lifetime. I am the light of the world. It's not just a nice statement. And he, he finishes up by saying, I, I will have, but I, I have the light of life. So they're angry. They were so angry at him, but not a boiling angry yet to the point of murder. That's going to take a little bit longer. Let me give you a few observations as, uh, as, we, uh, as we pull back from the passage and just, you know, at least ask, some, uh, you know, God, what would you show, show us in this passage? I'd like to say if the world needs light, God's light, uh, the world must be a dark place. Often we don't recognize that, that this world is a dark place. We see the inequities and the uh, injustice in this world, and there's this sense of justice somewhere deep in our belly that bubbles up, and we say, no, this is not right. This world is a dark place. We see the prejudices of people, and we just shake our heads and go, why are you saying these things? Part of you go, haven't, haven't we educated people enough? This has been going on. We've been educating people about prejudice since the 1960s, right? Come on. Like, this education should have fixed this one. This prejudice, and we shake our hands, how backwards people are. So we protest the evil, hoping education and maybe political policy might help and bring light to the world. The world is a dark place. And it is the light of Jesus who actually changes lives. Jesus is the one who illuminates darkness. Oh, great. That's a good phrase, catchphrase, Dave. But how does he do this? I believe, at least I've seen, Jesus radically change one life at a time. One life at a time. Uh, the writer of Amazing Grace, slave trader, evil man, 
changes his life. And now he goes and advocates for goodness and justice. How does God change the world? His light invades a life. And it changes everything. It was going in one direction. Now it goes in a different direction. And guess what? Guess what? If one life gets changed and another and another and another, guess what happens? <laughs> There's groups that get changed. Guess what they're called? They're called the local church. And guess what? If, 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 if they help more people get changed, guess what? Society actually gets changed because the light of the world comes in and changes people. And changed people change their worlds. Change their worlds. Um, and also, it's easy to talk about the world and injustice out there. The light of Jesus is brighter than we might actually desire <laughs> or understand. As we ask God to shine the light of the world on society, guess who he starts with? <laughs> It starts with me. It starts with you. It says in uh, Psalm 139, it says, uh, it's a, uh, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, point out anything that offends me. It's just like this thing about God, okay, open my heart to your gaze. I want to know if there's anything in me that offends you. And often we think we're good, we're good, we're really good. I'm, yeah, I got things down. I don't even think I need to pray that prayer. <laughs> then the light of God shines in the crevices and the cracks of our lives. And he whispers, self-focus. Oh, yeah. Okay. He, he whispers revenge, slander. He whispers, he's, God, Jesus' light is so strong, he, he, he illuminates our motives. And so he changes us. But guess what? He's never done. He just keeps on changing us. Ephesians 5 talks about this. It says, evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. That's that motive. It's not just what you do, but the motive behind it. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Yeah, one of the reasons he's the light, he shines the light on our motives. And then he helps us, gives us desire and strength to actually clean and become clean. This is an old story. I know I've said it before, but it's just so apropos. Uh, I just, I heard about, uh, uh, you know, that the old uh, sailing ships that would, you know, cross the Atlantic kind of thing uh, back in the 1800s. And, and uh, one of the things, if a sailor was uh, somehow being disobedient, couldn't do anything, he was put down in the hold. Hold was sort of below the deck where some of the materials were kept, or maybe just even some of the ballast. And there'd be water down there. But I, so there's one, one sailor that got thrown down there. He got put in a hammock. He said, this is awesome. This is great. He's swinging along. He says, I don't have to work. I don't have to swab the deck. This is good. This is no discipline. And then they, they opened the, the, the hatch and put a light down to uh, bring him his lunch. And all of a sudden, the light exposed the rats and the centipedes and the spiders and all the stuff that he was living in. And he screamed, get me out of here. <laughs> hmm. And often we're fine, just swinging in our own hammock. <laughs> I'm good with life. Jesus, come. Is there anything in me that's hidden? Be the light of the world and start with me. 
The beautiful thing is Christ does not just expose our sin. I, I think some, some Christians talk like that, and, and some people on the way to God think that's what us Christians are about. You're bad, you're bad, and you know, uh. The beautiful thing is he doesn't just expose it. He cleans it away. Far as the east is from the west, and is no more. First John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, If we claim we have no sin, we're just fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So can we just be honest? We all have gunk in our lives. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. He does it all the time. And just, there was a just payment for it, to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Cleanse us. Cleanse us. You know that memory that you hold? from years ago that you've never told anyone about your greatest regret. Remember that? He can clean that. He can wipe it away. And that, that is the beauty. That is one of the beautiful things about Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, we have, have run set free workshops. We used to call them encounter workshops. And where we would go and ask God to shine the light on our souls and confess anything that he shines the light on. You know what? There was a rule there, and it still is. You're not allowed to confess the same sin twice. Why? Because once it's confessed, it's gone. It's just gone. It's cleaned. It's wiped away. And if the evil one brings it up, you remind him it's been wiped away because God has removed it. So, Christians... Even though we live in a dark world, turn to the light, and that's Jesus. Turn to the light, and that's Jesus. Just turn to the light because it's all about him. All about him. L let me give you just one more thing, one more thing. Not only that, but Jesus brings the life-giving presence. The light does not just expose things, but it is, it, it, in the temple, it was his presence that was so beautiful. Uh, we're going to read again John uh, eight twelve in a different translation. I just want you to pick up on the last little bit. I don't want us to be too far from this, uh, this passage. Uh, John 8, 12 said, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light, the light that leads to life. <laughs> the light that leads to life. You know, as we follow Jesus... In a dark world, the closer we are to him, the more safety we have. The best illustration of that, I think, is uh, driving in a snowstorm. Do you remember that? I know we're so far removed from that. Like trying to drive in a snow, 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 nah, storm, and the snow is just coming. And you can't see ahead of you, and you're going, I should pull over. And then all of a sudden, there's a transport truck right in front of you, right? All the lights on. And what do you do? What do you do? You just hunker up and stay, keep my eye on that transport. We're just following the light in the midst of this dark and stormy world, following the light. I'm going to get there. He's going to make beautiful ruts for me to get through. And guess what? I'm going to get there. I just hope he's going the same place I am right now. <laughs> the thing is, the light ahead of us, Jesus is going to take us and lead us to life. 
lead us to life. The pillar of fire for the Israelites led them every single day. And that's why I love uh, Kara pointing out Sonoya's story. Sonoya, if you're watching, thank you so much. That's a great story. God gave you a tap on the shoulder. Guess what? He was leading you towards life. And uh, when, when you said, okay, who do you want me to encourage? Guess what, Sonoya? He led you. He, he gave you the, the who you need to encourage. It's a perfect person because God leads. Where does he lead? He doesn't lead to destruction. He leads to life. And so we need to listen to God. We need to, to hear him often. Not only does the, 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 fire, the life-giving uh, have to do with leading, it has to do with, uh, with just a sense of protection. To say, okay, God, it feels like my life is falling apart all around me, but you light up my life. Let me see light around me. Let me just see the light around me that I need. Jesus is the most comfortable and best night lights there is, right? <laughs> I know some people uh, need night lights. I, I, I get that. You know, all of a sudden wake up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black, right? To have a light there, okay, no, everything's good, everything's safe. God is that light in your life that says, okay, everything's good. I am with you. I am with you. It means that you are not alone. His presence means you are not alone. So turn to the light. It brings, he brings his presence. Last little thing to say, Jesus is the light of the world. This is not just for the Jewish nation. This is not just in, if you were born in a Christian family. This is for the world. That it means no one is beyond God. No one. No one. If you have turned your back, if you have been an atheist, if, if you have, have just sworn off God in every situation, let you know you are not beyond God. No one is beyond God. Like the Israelites who were in slavery, and, and yet he set them free with that pillar of light. Now guess the rest of the world he wants to set free because of his light he's going to bring in our world. Jesus is not one of many lights. He is the light of the world. As um, I, I'm listening to this beautiful podcast, I, I love it. It's called Side B. And it's just testimonies or, or God stories of atheists, very thoughtful atheists who have become Christians. And uh, I, would, I would recommend it. It's, just be it's all just story. And uh, as, uh, as one PhD in uh, literature, English literature, said, she said, uh, at the end of the day, she realized that there's only two options, either darkness or the light of Christ. And she, at the end of the day, wanted Christ. She started, she said she made all the way through her, uh, uh, up to her PhD and beyond uh, in English literature, but she had never read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> she said, hold on, something's wrong about this. This, uh, this book, that, uh, this library that's, that's the bestseller in the world, she decided not to do that. At first she said it didn't make sense. She said, I, I don't get this. It seems like the world is just dark in here too. And then somebody said, yeah, well, you're not reading it right. It's not about people. This is a heroic story about the hero God. Picture the best Marvel comic or whatever thing you, you watch, right? All right? Okay, the evil is tearing apart the city. Ah, oh, the arms are ripping. You know, every, whatever is happening, the asteroid is coming. What, okay, evil is there, right? You read the Bible, evil's all over the place. You need a hero, don't you? You need a hero to go and stop the evil. And so what does Jesus do? The, the story of the Bible is God himself is the hero. 
And the beautiful thing is some of the evil comes from us. And instead of destroying and obliterating evil, he comes and rescues and redeems and turns. What a story. What a fantastic story that is true. And it's true. She said as she was reading it, there's one story that really bothered her. She said it was a thief on the cross. And she said, this guy, you know, he's, well, he's gotten away with other, whatever he's gotten away with. And he just at the last minute says, help me, remember me. Wow, that's not even a very great prayer, right? <laughs> remember me. And so she told that to one of her Christian friends. And he, he's just smiled. And he said, do you realize that he, each one of us is a thief on the cross? It's not a blessed thing that we can do. The only thing we can do is reach out and say, God, help me. God, help me. And you know what? He becomes the light of our life and changes us, gives us his presence. And, and, and we become different people. Like the thief on the cross, the only way forward is to lean on a hero. You can't do it yourself. I've leaned on Jesus, and he has changed my life. I've been enjoying hearing about these atheists becoming Christians. And it reminds me of a song I, I, I really got into a lot of years ago. I, I don't think many people would ever have heard this song. But there's one phrase in the song that goes like this. He's, he's singing about those on the way to God, some of them atheists. He said this. He can't see the light because he keeps his eyes shut tight in hope of a blissful ignorance. I'm not going to see the light because I don't want to see it. I just want to be ignorant of it because it might actually be true. That's you. How much longer are you going to stay like that? Can we just be honest? Turn to the light. Turn to the light. He is the one that will come and clean. He will be the one that will throw those memories, those things that you hold, so far away. His presence means you will never be alone. Just turn to the light. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the light of the world. Wow. You are God of all gods. And next time I read that pillar of light that leads the Israelites through the wilderness, I'll know that's really talking about you. That's really talking about you. God, thank you that, that, that you have been the light of my life. Thank you that I've been able to open up my life and say, God, just uh, shine your light on me. And you've dusted out the little dust bunnies in my life and got rid of the, some of the garbage. And I'm so much better for it. God, thank you for your presence. When it feels like my world is so dark and I have nowhere to turn, I turn to you and you are there. My comfort, my one, my protection. Father, I pray for those on the way to you, God, that, that they will make that commitment of a life given to you, God. Help them to pray along. God, just forgive me of my sins and God, I, just take my life. It's yours. I, I, I can't do this anymore. God, help them to pray along and come into your family and allow your light to shine in their lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.